more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. But there's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Hello, you are turned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Jenna Fryer. And I'm Brian Lynn. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students and postdoc fellows in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you are a graduate student or a postdoc at OSU and you're interested on com- in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and podcast pages. This episode of Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and we're excited to be joined by Andrea Doman. Andrea is a second-year master student in food science and technology, and her research is all about listeria. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, so could, if you, could you just give us the um, quick one, one sentence, like if you're meeting another grad student at a party and they say, what do you study, what do you say? I say I study a set of Listeria monocytogenes isolates from British Columbia, Canada. And what I study specifically about them is their efflux pumps and how they're able to help Listeria survive in dairy processing environments. Fantastic. So we have some, some words to break down there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, now, now let's imagine we were not talking to another grad student, but say talking to my nephew or also talking to me. <laughs> Uh, then, then what, how would you describe your research? Okay. I've, uh, I don't think I've ever had to describe my research to not a grad student before. Um, I would say I study a bacteria that makes people sick. Um, and they get sick from eating things like dairy, um, and how I, how they're able to survive and live in these places and how they infect the food that makes people sick. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so listeria is the pathogen in question uh, that makes people sick. Um, and it likes dairy. How does it get into dairy? Oh, that's there's, there's a lot of ways that it can get into dairy. Um, it can get into dairy starting, you know, from the cow. Listeria lives in the soil and it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And cows, you know, lay down and stuff like that. And so it can get into the milk that way. And so when you have like unpasteurized milk, is that's a, listeria is a big risk there. Um, but it can also happen like in the plant itself. So say like you had a dripping condensate off of like an air conditioner or a fan or something like that. And it can like drip onto product like that is a way that it can happen or it can drip onto packaging that then goes onto the product and it contaminates the product that way. There's 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 a lot of different ways that it can get into the food. 
So if Listeria is everywhere, should people be like terrified that Listeria is everywhere? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that's an important thing to mention is, you know, it's you have to look at yourself and what is your acceptable level of risk that you're willing to take when you're eating a food. Listeria affects and, and uh, the most vulnerable among us, so the very young and the very old and the immunocompromised and pregnant people. And so if you are one of those groups, I mean, granted, a child can't really make like decisions on what they're eating very much. But, you know, if you're one of those groups, then, you know, when you're looking at eating like deli meat or a soft cheese, you know, is that a risk that you're willing to take? If it isn't, then, you know, don't don't eat don't eat the thing. Right. But, you know, it is it is okay, right? Like these things are very rare. Our food system is very good at keeping us safe from these pathogens. Uh, and fortunately, it still happens, right? But you know, our, overall, our food system is very safe. Yeah, it'll take a lot to get me to stop eating brie. Personally, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's rare, um, but it's not so rare that you wouldn't study it, right? So what brought you into, um, was there like a particular outbreak or anything that kind of brought you into studying this pathogen? So what brought me into it was I wanted to do work. I wanted to do work with pathogens in general. I didn't really have a preference. Uh, so I got handed Listeria and I was like, great, cool. <laughs> Never have I heard someone so excited to get handed a pathogen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, there's been, I feel like I've worked in more pathogen labs and with around pathogenic things than I have non-pathogenic things. Uh, so it's definitely interesting to talk to like my husband who was like, I would never go anywhere near your lab just because of the pathogens. And it's like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you just have to, you know wear your proper PPE and wash your hands and, you know, be safe. But, you know, it's all ultimately it's fine. Okay, so taking it back to the original question that I interrupted. So you were studying these pathogens because you're first off interested in them, but why specifically Listeria and why specifically now? So Listeria is unique among foodborne pathogens because uh, most partially because it can grow at refrigeration temperatures. So a lot of the other pathogens you think that, oh, you can just throw something in the fridge and, you know, it'll be fine. Oh, Listeria, Listeria is happy in the fridge. It'll, it'll, it'll grow. It'll be just fine. It could also tolerate uh, like a wide variety of pHs and also salt levels in food. Uh, and as because it's so ubiquitous, right, it's not like we can ever really be like it's always going to be a risk. And it's just something that we need to know, continually study and know more about in order to better protect our food. So you brought up an efflux pump. Yes, what? efflux pumps are my favorite things. <laughs> so what what is this unique thing that apparently Listeria has that makes it so problematic? So... Uh, efflux pumps aren't just limited to listeria. Efflux pumps in general are a broad term for proteins that are in cell membranes. And what they do is, it's in the name, they pump things. So efflux is an out, so they pump things out of a cell. 
And typically, at least the ones that I study in Listeria, is they pump things that will kill the cell outside of the cell. So it is less likely to kill the cell. Uh, And specifically, there are many different families. There are five different families of efflux pumps in general in prokaryotes. And I focus on one type, which is called an ATP binding cassette. It is very exciting. Um, It is the only one of the five to utilize ATP hydrolysis. So if you like go back to like mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell, (laughs) like mitochondria make ATP. And that's how a lot of things in your body work is by using ATP to power these things. And so these efflux pumps use ATP to get things out of the cell. Yeah, when you're sitting in intra bio wondering whether or not you'll ever have to think about ATP again, here we are. <laughs> hey, at least I'm not going to go back to the citric acid cycle. <laughs> no more Krebs cycle no. ever again. <laughs> um, okay, so this Listeria can just take whatever spicy poisons we try to give it and say no, yeet it out of its own cell, and then therefore doesn't die. So how do we keep it from getting inside of our tasty, tasty brie? <laughs> so, wait, you mean like how do, how do we keep Listeria from getting tasty, tasty brie or the spicy things that Listeria is yeeting out of the cell, out of the brie? <laughs> I guess what? both. <laughs> yeah, so I, like, I don't want the spicy things nor the listeria, please. Well, you know, there shouldn't be antibiotics in your food, so we should be safe there. And there should also not be heavy metals in your food, nor there should be there be sanitizers. So those are the three spicy things that I, I study. And, uh, you know, it's not that if it has an efflux, if listeria has a certain efflux pump, it's not that it's immune to these spicy things, right? It can only tolerate up to like a certain level of it. Like if there's too much, like it's, there's only so much a flux pump can do, you know, it's going to die if you throw it into a straight bucket of bleach. Right. So, but if you give it just like a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of bleach, it might be able to survive that. Yeah. So I know with like, um, microbes, we are in, in the healthcare field, a bit of an antibiotic crisis, right? Cause we give them a little bit of antibiotic and then there's that one cell that manages to survive and create a lineage of like super bugs. And we give it a little more and then there's that one cell that survives. Is there a similar phenomenon happening here where we give it a little bleach and like a lot of them die, but we get one that's like chilling and loves bleach and makes a swarm of bleach loving buddies? So, yeah, that is definitely a problem in the healthcare industry for sure. Uh, Listeria is luckily not one of those that we need to be concerned about for antibiotic resistance, like clinically. But, you know, it, it has been shown that Listeria can be adapted to tolerate larger amounts of sanitizers, but the amount that it can grow or amount that we can evolve it to adapt is is not very much at all. You know, it is noticeable and you can see changes in the genetics based on that adaption, which is really neat. Uh, But overall, if you still blow it and throw it in a bucket of bleach, it'll it'll die. So you're studying a specific spicy thing that Listeria... Three specific spicy things. (laughs) I'm specifically talking about the heavy metals that you talked about because you mentioned something about cadmium. Yes. I'm like, so what is fun about cadmium, which is a metal that I've never thought about? (laughs) 
<laughs> and listeria. <laughs> you don't casually look up the old heavy metals that used to be in really old makeup and how their mercury used to be in skin whitening things and still is found in skin whitening things. Yes, oh, that's, that's just my me. evening just activity. Like yeah. nice <laughs> glow. That was a thing, right? Uh, so, unfortunately, cadmium is pretty widely found in the environment, not at high concentrations, but it is found because you can, uh, it's a byproduct of. Uh, inorganic fertilizers and stuff like that, and also just human reasons, there's cadmium. Uh, So worldwide, I think there's about like 0.36 milligrams per kilogram of soil or something like that. I I definitely have to check that citation. I know that's 0.36. I don't remember the unit. Um, And so like I said earlier, that listeria is found in the soil, and it has grown happily in the soil, so it can just adapt to this level of cadmium. And the reason cadmium is really interesting to me is partially because people overlook it, right? So I don't know, maybe I'm like the hipster level of efflux pumps (laughs) when it comes to listeria. Um, Trailblazing. Research on cadmium (laughs) resistance. Uh, It's interesting to me because it Ultimately, there's been like nine different cadmium resistance genes that have been detailed in Listeria, not just monocytogenes, but other um, species as well. Uh, And I just think that's really cool. And looking at like the phylogeny of how these things evolved is really interesting to me, too. Um, And they're all like the same type of efflux pump. Um, It's like a fun little family. (laughs) And for anyone on the edge of their seats, it is, in fact, 0.36 milligrams per kilogram. Hey! (laughs) Fact checking over here. (laughs) I really like the live fact checking. That's really nice. (laughs) So you got these isolates from British Columbia, Canada. Yes. Uh, Why? Why? (laughs) Why specifically there and not just like any dairy processing facility like around why, why Canada? Because happy cows come from California, not Canada. That's true. Oh man, those cows in Canada must be really unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the listeria. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is like a whole storied history behind these isolates. Um, it started back in the early 2000s. There were 130 cases of listeriosis. Uh, that's the disease caused by listeria monocytogenes uh, from two different outbreaks. And they were ultimately linked back to cheese. And the British Columbia Centers for Disease Control did a sampling program, and they sampled both finished products of cheese and also uh, production environments and, like, equipment and stuff like that. And from this sampling program, 88 Listeria monocytogenes isolates have survived. Um, it, From the way my advisor phrases it, because she was actually – she actually worked at the BC CDC – uh, it was like a bank heist for her to get them out or something. I don't. <laughs> I sort of like get the whole full story from her on that. Uh, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm, it was all legal. I want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> as legal as a bank heist. Yeah. Tends to be. <laughs> so these 88 isolates, they're over. Uh, they're from five different facilities, and there's a they span from over a decade. And what's really special about this isolate set is that 63 of them are from one facility in particular. And these 63 isolates are so genetically similar, and yet they were still found over the course of seven years. And so 
that efflux pump connecting it back to that is we're looking at to see if these 63 have anything special about these efflux pumps that can help them live that long in this facility. So what's the answer to yeah. the question? So what's the answer? Oh my gosh, I don't know yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows the answer. I'm working through the stats, okay? <laughs> you and my advisor or something? <laughs> well, so I guess that you don't have the full results yet, but is it looking promising in one area or still too early to tell? So there's a lot of issues with like definition of persistence and how people... Um, classify it and so I don't want to like make too broad of conclusions from it but in in my opinion I do think cadmium resistance does play a large role in persistence because within that set of 63 it doesn't have any sanitizer tolerance genes that we know of but all of them every single one of them does have a cadmium resistance gene now, whether or not that's like a selection bias thing where that one just happened to, you know, at the beginning of time, time, time in the facility, like that one just happened to have that cadmium resistance gene and it just, you know, like some other reason is the reason why it has stuck around for so long. Um, but I think it's definitely something to not discount for sure. Has anyone checked to see if Canada just has more cadmium? So, fun, fun, I, I have tried. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like a true grass yeah. <laughs> I definitely tried um, a while ago. I, I feel like I have to go back and try again. Because, you know, when you're, I'm sure you guys know this, like being in grad school, like your abilities to research as you go on, in your schooling, like gets better and better. Right. And so it's, it gets a lot easier to find certain things. And so I have found myself going back to old rabbit holes that I have previously not been able to keep on digging (laughs) (laughs) and I can, you know, further dig down and actually solve, solve what I was originally looking for. So I feel based on that question, I feel like I should take another crack at it and see if I can find it. Um, I had talked to a soil scientist friend of mine and I was like, how do I, how do I find this? How do I find the level of cadmium? And he's like, that's not something we normally test for lead. We can, I can give you lead data, but not cadmium. So future grad students project going through Canada, going through Canada. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess like the big picture of all of this research is like, oh my gosh, there's this scary pathogen in my dairy processing facility. What is your advice? Because this is an industry problem. So what would your advice to a dairy processor? You know, out of all the dairy processors I've I've met, they're, they're all fantastic and they would all be terrified and heartbroken to ever have a positive, right? So I think that dairy gets a lot of bad rap for certain, you know, reasons and granted those reasons are definitely valid, but you know, there are good people in dairy, right? So my 63 slash 88 isolates, you know, they're a good warning story for negligent facilities, I would say, because the longer these things tend to stick around, 
the more likely it is that they're going to pick up something more nasty that is going to allow them to survive even longer or pass it along to a different bacteria that is going to cause you a different problem. So I guess it's more of like a take care of it when you find it situation, but I don't know any dairy processor that would knowingly leave something like that unattended. So keep things clean. Yes, keep things clean. <laughs> and eat the brie. And eat the brie. <laughs> <laughs> Without hesitation. Um, fantastic. So you had mentioned how you just wanted to work with any old pathogen. You were ready for the spookiest thing that could be thrown at you. Um, where? How did you come to grad school thinking, please give me deadly diseases? <laughs> come to grad school um (laughs) I guess I guess I've always partially been interested in it um I worked in the medical field prior to coming to graduate school um but even before that back in undergrad I did an internship at OHSU working on HIV um and it was a super cool and B found out I never want to work with viruses ever again because they're a pain. They're so much smaller than bacteria. <laughs> Do you think bacteria are small? Yeah. Do you see bacteria as bacteria? So it's something that's always interested me. Um, and, you know, seeing the things that make people sick in the hospital, it's really heartbreaking. And not a lot of people want to work with pathogens, which with understandable reasons. So... I guess that's more the noble side of things is I see these people to get sick and I don't want them to be sick anymore and I don't want them to die from these things. So how can I help? <laughs> that is very noble. Um, does Listeria have a, like, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but you mentioned people not really wanting to work with pathogens. I happen to also work with a human pathogen, but it smells like grapes. It smells delicious. Does Listeria smell like you would want to eat it? Uh, I don't know (laughs) because I always work with it in a hood, (laughs) so I've never stuck my nose in there. However, I do have a colleague, uh, who her bacteria for her cheese, it smells like really nasty cheese. It's not pathogenic, but it is so gross. And one of the incubators in the lab, it's a giant incubator, just reeks of it. So, uh, bacteria do stink generally. Uh, none, none of the ones that I've dealt with smell like grapes. So you are lucky on that front. Got that sweet lung pathogen. <laughs> <laughs> so the stinky cheese, is that like, like blue cheese stink? Is it just like, no, it's, you'd have to talk to her more about it. All I know <laughs> is that it's stinky and it makes our incubator smell bad. And the autoclave trash from it, ugh, it's so gross. <laughs> just like hot. Fair garbage. Yeah, I mean, we have to autoclave everything that comes out of our lab. And when we work with a lot of cheese, it's autoclaved cheese. Wow. So high pressure, hot cheese. It's going to keep me up at night. On top of pathogens. <laughs> hey, it's sterile, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, there, if Listeria does become a problem, it could be a new product. New product of autoclaved cheese. Oh, autoclaved oh. cheese. No disease mm. cheese. <laughs> mm. I've tasted some high pressure processed cheese. Uh, that's for a different, another grad student's project. And it was so weird. It like melted, but not in a good way. 
in your mouth. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it was kind of like it Velveeta-ized all of the cheese. Oh, very craft Singles risque cousin. Well, let's hope that researchers like you continue making our cheese safe <laughs> at its current state and we don't need to all eat uh, high-pressure processed cheese. Yes. <laughs> so your background was in chemistry, and then you decided to come back to grad school in food science. Um, was this because you were like, hey, food is cool, or was there more to the story than that? It's a very interesting story of how I got to grad school. Um like I mentioned, I was in healthcare and it was I was working through the pandemic and as you can imagine, that sucked real hard. Um, so I kind of decided that it was time to do something new. And I so I had tried I was applying for a different program and my husband was like, Hey, you're doing all these things for this different program. You should you should also apply to grad school. And I was like, I don't want to, but fine, whatever. Right? Sure. I'll throw the $60 on the toilet. I don't really care. And I had initially applied to a different uh, department. And someone from that department apparently, like, shopped around my application. I don't really know that part of side things. But my advisors, they found me. And I met with them. And, man, Joy is just a, she's one of my advisors. She's, like, a very convincing person. (laughs) And so after I got off the Zoom call with her, I was like, yeah, right. I'm going to grad school. <laughs> like this is this is what I want. I want to work with her because she's awesome. And I also happen to love food. So it actually worked out really well in the end. Yeah, I guess if you're going to perform legal bank heist, you must be good at compelling. Oh, that's my other advisor. <laughs> <the> other <laughs> <laughs> By their powers combined. As I know, Dr. Wade Kusick, I think she would do a bank heist as well. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Okay, is there anything you want to tell us about your microbes that we didn't bring up yet? Um anything about their pumps or their Anything cheese? about their pumps or their, their dirt or their dirt? Uh, I feel like we covered all of we it actually. It. You guys did a really good job. The only thing I would say is that you know going back to that I want to that I think is interesting about these efflux pumps is particularly the cadmium efflux pumps, is that there's a series of nucleotides in their DNA that they're the same across all of them. And it's so much fun to be able to like control F, it's a fancy control F, but control F through all of these and find them and be like, hey, look, there's an efflux pump. <laughs> yeah, so in evolution, especially microbes, right, things genetically change a lot over in a short period of time that's currently ruining my research life is how quickly they do that (laughs) (laughs) so we have this like really highly conserved bit of genetic code that's just lasted through all these set yeah that's that's neat i wish my my little grape lads would do that makes dna or data analysis so much easier (laughs) (laughs) yeah luckily i I mean I i don't want to talk about like the rest of their genomes but luckily this part right here this day is doing great (laughs) so one final question for me so you really like pathogens you really like bacteria so you work on listeria but is listeria your favorite or do you have a different favorite pathogen (sighs) um 
Favorite pathogen? Or bacteria in general. Bacteria in general. This is going to sound really superficial. I really like Pseudomonas. (laughs) It's very pretty. (laughs) That's what I work with. It smells like grapes. (laughs) It looks like Kool-Aid. Yeah, they've got fun colors, and Mm -hmm. I'm working with one that's actually from maple syrup that it fluoresces. Um, So, yeah, I think think Pseudomonas is neat. So it fluoresces. So does that mean the like plates like glow in the dark? Oh, hundred percent. Well, not they don't glow in the dark. But if you hit it, if you if you take it in the club, don't advise. <laughs> but if you take it into a club with a black light, <laughs> it'll glow. <laughs> Microbio party. Everyone brings their favorite plate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, perhaps we transition into our um, traditions. Okay. We have three. Okay. Uh, first, what is your favorite part about your research? This is going to sound kind of sad, but I really like making graphs. <laughs> Why would that be sad? Because it just involves me in front of R and a million different tabs of Stack Overflow open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at my computer with the million tabs of Stack Overflow, yeah. so I understand. <laughs> so I I really like making graphs and dealing with all the data that I generate. Generating the data is fun too, but not so much as sorting through all of it and trying to make sense and come to conclusions. I'll say making like a good data visualization is artistic. It has a nice creative element to it. Um, it's very satisfying at the end. I went to uh, the high school I went to. It was kind of unique. It was like an arts focused high school. My major was actually film because you had majors in this high school. And uh, painting was my favorite side class. <laughs> and so I love that I get to bring some of like my art skills in order to do some of the data visual- vis- visualization that I do. Um, and it's very fun to have the prettiest looking slides at the whole conference. It was always nice little like step up of like ooh look at my poster compared to yours <laughs> for our next uh tradition we want you to provide a piece of advice it can be for your younger self an undergrad a fellow graduate student anyone at all what would that piece of advice be i thought long and hard about this and i would say that my biggest piece of advice i can give you and anybody is actually from my dad and he would always tell me this growing up because my dad has the audacity for anything. <laughs> and he would always tell me they can always say no. So like if you're ever nervous about something, right, you can always just ask. And the worst thing that they can tell you is no. I think that's what I would I would give because I can be very timid sometimes. And I kind of remind myself of that. Yeah, sometimes thinking to yourself like, the worst thing that comes out of this is that I, nothing changes in my life. Can ease some of the stress. Yeah, for sure. exactly. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, perhaps the most, um, what song did you choose and why for us to play? I chose uh, "Cupid" by Fifty Fifty. And I chose it because it's probably one of the least depressing things that I listen to when I'm in the lab. Um, It's usually the song that I'll start off with if I want to feel a little more upbeat and peppy. And so, yeah, it's very fun. All right. Well, here is um, 
Cupid by 50-50? Is it the other way around? 50-50 by Cupid? No, it's Cupid by 50-50. Cupid by 50-50. And then thank you, Andrea. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. for listening if you want to support the show tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. and follow us on twitter and facebook at kbvrid this theme music was performed by the osu drumline and the intro jingle was created by olin hamat special thanks to the supporting staff at kbvr that allow the show and podcast to be possible this show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends. <laughs>